Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. All right, well, welcome Executive Minds listeners. This is Kevin Jennings here with you, and I have the pleasure of being here with um, the man I affectionately call Papa C, but you can call him Dr. Jeff Cornwall. Uh, He is the man who taught me everything I know about entrepreneurship, and he also has taught many others. Um, He leads the entrepreneurship, well, he led the entrepreneurship program at Belmont University, led it to its highest heights um, as an organization that was nationally known for uh, its curriculum. He has been, uh, I guess, designated as Entrepreneurship Educator of the Year uh, by the United States Small Business and Entrepreneurship Association. Is that correct? That's close enough. Close enough, close enough. Um, and truly, he has spent his time uh, on on this fantastic earth teaching people, but more importantly, exemplifying through his own experiences, both how to educate about entrepreneurship, how to be an entrepreneur, and also how to be an entrepreneur, um, doing that within the context of you know institutions, which I think is pretty hard. I don't think most people assume that education as an industry is full of innovation and yet he's done that and so today I really just thought hey how could I have all of us who are leading in organizations aspiring experienced executives come alongside say how do I refine my abilities to be entrepreneurial and so Dr. C thanks for joining me my pleasure um, and so I'll just jump right in, but I thought I know I didn't do your experience any any justice. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just want to just really, if you don't mind, help us take more about your story, about how you got here um, in this spot where you now have spent, you know, decades educating entrepreneurs. So I, I grew up with entrepreneurship around the dinner table. Uh, my dad was a corporate guy uh, back in the 50s and 60s. And as everybody really was in those days. In fact, we didn't talk about entrepreneurship. That wasn't a word we used very much, if at all. Um, He got interested in in that world, though, through investment that he did. He and a couple of his friends would uh, invest in small businesses on the side, and they'd buy them and and then often turn them around. Uh, Occasionally, they tried to start a couple of things. And and, uh, today, we probably call him a pretty active angel investor, uh, but again, that was a word we didn't use back uh, in the 50s and 60s. But uh, that was his path. And and I was uh, one of four sons and really the only one who had a real interest and aptitude uh, for, for entrepreneurship and, and business. Um, I have three very smart brothers, but uh, they've all con- kind of gone in different paths in lives. And I was the last one. I was the one who really resonated with that. So I got very involved in some, some of the businesses he invested in. Um, and at a fairly early age, uh, I also started some of my own things at a fairly early age. Uh, so I have been, I have been kicking around the world of entrepreneurship for, uh, four going on five decades. And, uh, and so it's, it's been a part of what I've always done. And I've, 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 I've not gone in a very planned journey. Um, and I always like to tell people I work with, you know, stop trying to plan and, and more look for the opportunities that come along because it's probably going to be a better path. So I, I, I started out in family business, doing my own thing, decided I want some more education, went and got a graduate degree, came out with an MBA in finance in 1980, which was probably the single worst time, maybe except for 2008, uh, to come out uh, with any kind of business degree during my lifetime. It was a horrible economy. 
uh, couldn't even get an interview in finance. And so um, thought about going back and getting back involved in family business, but I really was looking to kind of strike out on my own at that point. Um, decided uh, after a long, uh, a, a long conversation with my wife and kind of thinking about things, I got offered to stay on in grad school and get a doctorate, something I'd never thought about, but my wife had a good job and, and there was no prospects for me. So we thought, let's keep her stable place in the world and I'll go and, and continue to learn, which I love doing. So I got my doctorate. I taught for a few years. And, and quite honestly, the, the, the subject matter I was uh, able to teach in those days is not what I'm passionate about. It was, it was corporate stuff. Sure. Now, I've come to understand the interface between my world of entrepreneurship and the corporate world. But at the time, in terms of what I was teaching, it was very straight corporate kind of, of business education. Uh, loved teaching, loved my students, but, but wasn't completely rewarding. I, I did start an entrepreneurship program, uh, and, and it got off uh, to a pretty good start. But um, opportunity knocked, and, and I left academics uh, after getting tenure uh, to go and <laughs> start a healthcare company. We did that for uh, about a decade, and... Uh, exited from that, and after a lot of soul-searching and life decision, decided that teaching was kind of a good place, and all of a sudden, there's lots of entrepreneurship going on. Hmm. So went back into academics. So you know, I've been in business, academics, business, academics, um, and, and uh, have been doing that now for quite a while. Um, but over the last few years, have also gotten back, uh, gotten my toe back into the entrepreneurship world as well, and have, have started up a business that I'm doing with, with uh, primarily with my kids and my wife, and and uh, that's been a fun journey to do. Sort of in the twilight of, of my working life, is to be able to go back and do one last thing with my family this time. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. One of the things that you, um, you know, were didn't allude to directly, which is how large that healthcare system became 300 plus employees um so for those who are like wow yeah i mean yeah so i, I when i read that i was like wow that's a lot of people to be leading it and, is. And, and i will and we'll unpack a little bit of that at some point just the idea of just what that means to go from entrepreneur to ceo and leader at that level of that many employees and you know uh, and that reality but you mentioned that you said it wasn't your passion and, I, and i'm just kind of curious because i feel like anyone who loves business like this what makes them tick typically is even more than money, right? It's not just like, oh, I want to get, because like you, had, you probably have plenty of opportunities to just make money. Yeah, entrepreneurship is not, um, is not a great career path if you want to have nice, steady, good, solid income. Right. <laughs> um, and, and it's not even a really uh, rational way to make a lot of money. Hmm. You know, we hear about people making a lot of money. Sure. But we also hear about people playing the lottery and making a lot of money. And, and so, you know, the odds are kind of against you getting rich as an entrepreneur, to be honest. Um, so you have to do it for other reasons. And for me, it's just what I love. It's, it's I, love, I love the startup process. I love, I love solving that puzzle and putting those pieces together. And, and that's the part of it for me is exciting. And it's, it's, it's turned out to be equally as much fun for me to help others do that. And that's why... Um, not expecting or planning to be an educator, um, I've actually found that to be a pretty cool path for me because I get to do um, that same puzzle solving alongside with uh, my students and alumni as they go on their journeys. That's helpful, and that's because I think that's really insightful. Uh, so going back to you know the healthcare system, 
um, I did want to ask you, like, when you look back, you know, what did you learn about yourself? Maybe prior to that, through the things you started out, you know, the things you experimented with, with entrepreneurship, you know, your first kind of stint in education that helped you prepare you for that moment to be founding. A, I mean, because I don't think, at least in my mind, when I hear I started a healthcare company, I think about lots of legal things and infrastructure and things that just are required. Right. You know, like it's right. not the idea of saying, I started a design firm. What did you do? I sold my time. You know, right. I sold myself. That sounds much more complex, you know, maybe venture capital. So I'm just curious, when you look back at your experiences now, what prepared you for that moment that maybe you didn't even recognize that had value at the time? So in the end, you're still just starting a business like any business, you know, and, and so a lot of the elements that, that you go through are no different than it would be with a design firm. You're right, there are more complexities to it. You have a lot more employees, you have, uh, you do have legal requirements and all of that, but, uh, you know, I wasn't really the healthcare guy in the deal, I was the business guy, I was a startup guy in the deal. Hmm. Um, what I learned about myself is I was really good at starting things, but I wasn't very good at managing things. Mm. Uh, I'm not a good administrator. Uh, I'm an okay manager. I'm not a good administrator. Uh, you know, if managers build and administrators kind of hold things in place, uh, that's where I really didn't do well was in that space. A little bit as a manager, maybe. Um, and, you know, the, the executive part, the leadership part, I enjoyed but you still have a lot of work to do and and there's a certain drudgery that starts to happen as you build something mm -hmm. and and I, I found myself uh, it, it just didn't play to my strong suit. My strong suit is was really in those early days as we were getting things going and finding the opportunities and and pulling together the initial team and getting momentum and getting those first contracts. That's where I had fun. That's where I was at my best. And when I was having to have meetings with executives and managers who worked in my company and deal with all kinds of legal crap that was going on, um, I, I was uh, at times quite miserable. And do you, when you look back at the seeds before that, was there, because I, I mean, for those who don't know, I am building my own business. I mean, I think we've talked about this on the podcast that I left my role as a marketing director left behind those responsibilities and, and that team and that infrastructure to go build something on my own. Um, and I think, you know, that's something I'm still in the middle of trying to figure out where I think there's, I mean, I've probably taken every personality test on, on the planet, just trying, like, just trying to, to code myself as fast as I can. Um, what roles should they, should they even be looking at? Like what things are in the marketplace that maybe didn't exist before in the corporate world that it might even say, Hey, if this is your skill set, you might want to develop the skills and the resume that prepare you for these types of opportunities. So, um, first one point of clarification. Please I, clarify. I, I, I don't think what I'm good at is superior to those people who are good at ministering. Oh, and sure. I, I have to make that very clear. Sure. I admire those people. Yeah. I, 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 there were many times I wish I had that skill set, but I came to recognize that I didn't. Mm -hmm. and, and so I put, I tried to find good people to put in that place. So to get to your question, though, where's, where is that space maybe in, in more traditional corporate America where someone who likes to, to plan, innovate, can, can, can exist and exist well? I think you have to step back and, and understand that there are certain kinds of business models where that kind of uh, skill set is, is more needed. Sure. And so if you're looking at a, at a company that's in an industry where we have a lot of 
change and dynamic action going on and maybe a lot of new startups going on and and maybe internal incubation of, of new products and things going on, that's the kind of world you're going to want to live in. Understanding there's still going to be a lot more constraints and at times more inertia than you might want to have if you really like that whole rush of the startup scene. But if, if the corporate world is where you are and, and where you need to be, it starts with finding a company that's in an industry that has a culture that lends itself to that. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of people who I have met, I've taught a lot of MBAs over the years who are working full-time in corporations, and many of them are very frustrated in the positions that they're in, and, and they kind of do this blanket, oh, well, that's just because it's a big corporation. And I say, well, no, there are, there are big corporations where there's plenty of space for someone like you to plan, but you can't make that space within an organization where it doesn't naturally exist. Yeah. So step one is find the right place to work. I love that. Uh, and then step two is, you know, you want to get involved in, in, in product development area. You want to get involved in, in uh, maybe some of the, the, the uh, new product uh, acquisition uh, area and so forth. You want to, you want to play on the edge where, where the, the product and service innovation is going on, be that through acquisition, be that through internal R&D, or however they do it, that's where you want to play. Hmm, that's fantastic. One of the members of our team, uh, David Farmer, he actually started the innovation practice at Chick-fil-A. And I, and I, I think he's, he's a great example of a person who figured out, like, okay, though I have this ability to be, you know, maybe to, to serve some administrative roles and maybe some management roles, I like that space. And how am I going to carve that out? Um, and so I think there's a, a, but hearing it starts with the culture and, and where you choose to work. I mean, I think I love that because like, okay, yeah, that's on you. Like you chose to work there. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, I learned uh, through some work I did um, way back in the eighties that once an organization gets to a certain size, it's really hard for it to change its stripes. It's really hard for it to all of a sudden become innovative and entrepreneurial when it hasn't been. Uh, large entities are, are very difficult to, to reconstruct and, and change that way. Some have, but most of the time when it's happened is because there's been such a crisis uh, in, in the market and, and and the mission of what that organization's been about, they had no choice. You look at IBM. IBM is a, is a corporation that has tra- reinvented itself several times over. But every time it was because what they had been doing was dying. Mm-hmm. They were just able to, to, uh, to still have that spirit to be able to go and say, okay, well, what are we going to become? Where can we take what we're good at and what we know and apply it to the new reality of the marketplace? And, and so... We see some organizations have been able to reinvent themselves, but but they're kind of a rare bird out there. Yeah, yeah. So so, um, you before we go to our our, our our little break here, you alluded to the fact, hey, I I am the my greater strength when I shined was when I had to start it up, use my creativity, see opportunity, you know. But you said management administration not so much. I'm curious to, to hear, are there any other differences that you think we should be mindful of when it comes to that difference between starting and then maybe becoming the executive whose whose role is management and administration that maybe 
just defines distinctly the what's what's required of, the, of you, the person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, uh, first and foremost is risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are. I, I, I'm amazed at 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 how rare that is um, because I don't mind taking risks. Now I'm not a I'm not a crazy wild risk taker where you know I'll go out and throw the dice and put all my fortune in the next deal and. That's not the kind of, you know, um, crazy risk-taking I'm talking about. I'm talking about very calculated risk-taking where there's a great deal of uncertainty and unknowns. Sure. And, and, and you're constantly uncovering those things and solving those things. And I'm amazed at how many people think they want to be an entrepreneur or think they want to be entrepreneurial in their corporate jobs who, when you really start to dig into it, you recognize that uh, they have very low tolerance for risk. Hmm. Um, now, why we have different, very various kinds of risk tolerances, uh, there's a lot of theories about that. There's a lot of people that have wondered about that. I think a lot of it goes back to how we were kind of our earlier experiences in life. I mean, like I said, I grew up with entrepreneurship. I grew up in the middle of, 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 of new businesses and turnaround small businesses. And so my environment early on in my life was shaped by those kinds of experiences and I became comfortable with it. I became uh, not only comfortable with it, I, I became to appreciate it and understand it and want to see more of that. Mm. And so I think it's, I see people who, um, not to get too far off track, but I, I think one of the challenges we're seeing now with, with the millennial generation, and, and I'm starting to see with Generation Z now that they're in college, is they haven't been given that opportunity to take true risk because wow. with, with true risk is failure. Wow, and and they have been insulated from failure, and and the, they will tell you that when I ask them point blank, I said, "Why are you so afraid to start this business? It looks, you know, I'll start it. It looks great," and and, and it gets down to the fact that they've never gotten confidence uh, in in their ability to fall down and get back up again. You're gonna fail, you know, when you're in, when you're an entrepreneur. When you're an innovator, you're going to fail. And so you've got to get comfortable with that. Now, if you're a corporate innovator, that there again, you have to work in an environment where failure is acceptable. Yeah. Um, and, and, and failure is acceptable for the right reasons. And the same thing with an entrepreneur. There's wrong reasons to fail and right reasons to fail. Um, if you've made mistakes in judgment, if you've misjudged the market, if you've not paid attention to the market, that's on you. But there's always a certain degree of uncertainty and change that we can't control, that we can't anticipate. And we have to get uh, understand that we are going to have some failure. And a lot of people just don't have that tolerance for that. I think the second thing is perseverance. I, I think um, it, it is a long grind. You and I were talking before we went on air about the business I'm starting now. It's It's been a long grind getting this thing to where it's now starting to get some market traction. Now, part of that is because we've done it all part-time, all sure. of us. But even if I sped it up and we're all full-time, I, I think the clock still would have been about a year or two just to finally kind of get it going in the right direction with the right traction with the right market. And so perseverance is something that, and patience that you have to have as well. with Dr. Jeff Cornwall. Um, and so you were, for the break, you were mentioning 
that we need, you know, obviously risk, to risk tolerance and perseverance have a lot to do with really some the difference between what's required of you in that startup phase and what might be required of you when you're leading the organization that's already more established. Um, I'm curious because I feel like a lot of executives, because they don't know that, they think that what got them there, which is typically managing an existing project, managing a given initiative, um, stewarding the team well, leading well, all those are fantastic, amazing skills everyone does not and, have. And necessary. But then they think that when they get promoted, those same variables will be given to them. And the higher up you get, the more you are now aware of the unknowns and you are required to make decisions and bets in areas where you don't 100% know. Like I said, you and your team, I've done all the right research. You've done as much as you can. And I think that's, at least in my opinion, I feel like it exposed people and there's a little bit of a shock of what happens when you thought leading those at that level would have greater clarity. So is that, first of all, is that true? Because I'm making an assumption to a certain extent. And I love to just hear, like, is that something you've seen that shocks the leaders you've you consulted with? Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, that's an interesting point. And, and, and I think there is truth to that. I think that, I think when you look at, um, when I look at people who, and, and again, my perspective is the world of entrepreneurship. And so I'm going to, my bias is to keep coming back to that, but it does apply to what you're asking. And when I look at people who are in mid-level management or upper, even upper mid-level management who decide to leave and become an entrepreneur, that sort of um, almost entitled mentality of, you know, the, the organization has taken care of all of that stuff seems to be there. And, and that's a real problem for them because they, they don't understand it isn't there and they have to create it. I see more success in people leaving the corporate world who are much higher up because I think you're right. I think they've come to recognize uncertainty and understand it better. And I think they've started to understand the, the, the whole entity of the system itself and the business model. And they see the whole business model and they understand how that works. Mm -hmm. And you really only get that experience as an entrepreneur and as a corporate leader. In between, you're in the muck and the mire of all the stuff that you're doing in your little functional area. And, and it, makes it, it makes it a challenge for you to go up and it makes a challenge for you to leave if you want to go do something on your own. With our time that's left, one of the big things I feel is most of us still desire to bring a certain level of innovation to our role, whether that's to stand out, whether that's because we see an opportunity, whether it's because we believe in the organization, we want to serve them well, we want to just, you know, whatever that might be. But I believe that most of us don't know what we need to work on to develop the skills that help us maybe navigate you know, opportunity recognition, risk tolerance, the things you've talked about, perseverance. What are some of the things that you have discovered through both your experiences as a you know entrepreneur, but also as an educator, that are the essence of entrepreneurship from what the skills and a professional can work on, right. let's say, to become right. more entrepreneurial in their role or at least refine their either their mindset or their skill set for when those times arise. Well, um, you have you've alluded to this. There, there are actually two buckets that you're talking about. There is there is the skill set and the mindset. And and I can help people with the skill set. I can do that, and and I can teach them how to understand a market better and and see 
uh, pain and and problems in that market that we can create solutions for and and that's the essence of entrepreneurship at its best is when we go out and we see a market and we see some things wrong see some some things that we can do better and and we go ahead and do that that's that is that's to me is entrepreneurship at its finest that's a skill I can teach you how to do that I can teach the steps of of not only opportunity recognition, but also business model formulation, which is the solution to the problems that you find hmm. as you find those opportunities. I can teach all of that. I can't teach mindset. I can't teach mindset. That has to come through life experience. That has to come through, I think, your temperament. Uh, you know, some of that may just be God-given in terms of, you know, he he puts all of us on earth for for different purposes. And, and uh and, and we just have to somehow kind of accept where those are. <laughs> but I can't teach the mindset. Um, I know what it is. I know it when I see it. Uh, I know that to a certain degree, I certainly possess it. And a lot of the people like you who I've worked with over the years possess it. Um, but I, I, I can't make somebody want to be. I can't make somebody have the drive to be an entrepreneur. But those who do... I can help them be much more successful by understanding the skills that go with that. With that being said, what's you? I mean, you might have outlined just now. What would you say are some of those skills? Even if you don't unpack how to necessarily refine all those today, what are some of those skills? Because I do think that many of us, it's easy to praise an entrepreneur and say, "Look at the magic of Steve Jobs. Look at the magic of Jeff Corn. Look at no, that." There's, ma- there's nothing magical about it. You, and, and, but, but I think because we're not in the room and it's not as clearly communicated as you're doing right now. I do think that we build a mystique around, around the skills of entrepreneurship in a way that says, Oh, I could go, I may never become a full time entrepreneur, but I could be better at analyzing a market. Right. So what would you say those skills are? Well, uh, you know, I think, I I think it starts with that. I think it, it, it starts with having an open mind and learning to observe. Yeah, yeah. One of the things we can get people to be better at is what we sometimes call creativity. I'm not a big fan of that word because I'm not quite sure what the heck it means anymore. <laughs> um, but um, uh, we'll use that word for since we're short on time. And, and so I, I can make people more observant. I can teach them where, how to see patterns. I can teach them pattern recognition. And out of pattern recognition, you start to see things where, that are broken. And when you see things that are broken, you start to understand how you can apply solutions and really understand those things and, and fix those things. That's all the opportunity process, uh, recognition process. That's all the, the sort of the early business uh, idea formulation process that I can teach. Um, then the next thing I would teach them is, is, is how to understand the system that's going to be necessary to to, 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 to put something in place to fix that. And that's, that's a business model. And there are lots of really good tools out there now to help people formulate really solid business models. And, and those didn't exist 10 years ago. I mean, this is, this, it's kind of a really cool age to be an entrepreneur. It's a really cool age to be teaching entrepreneurship because we have learned so much in the last 10 years ab- about how this whole process really works. And so, there are there are uh, different kinds of business model canvases you can use as tools to help you visualize and formulate the 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 entirety of what you need to do to to really take advantage of that opportunity. 
What do you need to do in the market realm? What do you need to do operationally? What do you need to do financially to make that all work? Uh, none of that is new. I mean, those, those are the sections of an old-fashioned business plan. But business plans were static and, and, and uh, actually kind of useless tools for entrepreneurs by the most part because the process is so dynamic because we're constantly learning. And that would be the next thing I would teach them is to stop thinking you know everything, become humble, and understand that the market's going to tell you what you really need to do. And you need to be humble enough and you need to be open-minded enough so that you can listen to that and make those adjustments. You know, I've been rattling around doing this for decades. I, I, you know, I was so far off on my initial solution to the business model that we have right now that, you know, that, that if I had stuck to my guns, you know, I'm, come on, I'm, I'm the old professor who's been doing this and teaching this for 40 some odd years. Um, who, I'm not, I know what I'm doing, but I don't, you know, the market is always full of surprises. And so I can teach people to, 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 uh, to, un, how to, how to be open-minded. Uh, and that sounds like I shouldn't be able to do that. It sounds like it's a temperament thing, but it's not. Um, sometimes it, it, it's through evidence and I can show them and I can, I can lead them to it and they can go, oh my God, you're right. The market is telling me that I'm trying to do the wrong thing here and I can fix that. And then the last thing that I would really stress that people need to understand, uh, they need to have financial literacy. And, and I mean that sincerely. I mean, I know a lot of really brilliant entrepreneurs who see markets and understand all these things and build a business model who can't have success because they don't understand how to translate hmm. the conceptual business into the financial business model. And you have to be bilingual. You have to be able to speak in English and words uh, with your business model, but you have to also have to speak accounting and being able to translate that into numbers because that's how we explain, measure, and assess and understand how things are going. So you have to have that skill set as well. For that, I will stop and plug a book you've written. Um, he authored a book called Entrepreneurial Financial Management to help entrepreneurs and startups read the numbers. So um, that's a book that I, I personally cherish as I've been getting uh, taken to the School of Hard Knocks over the last year and have gone back to that resource many times. It's okay, Kevin, what's really happening? And that is why... I've made a big change the last six months. Um, I truly. appreciate that. Well, we're very, true. I'm very proud of that book. That was a fun book to do. It was, it, it came out of practices that I did as an entrepreneur that I wanted to pass along to my students. And, and I collaborated with an, uh, an accountant and a finance expert and we created that book and we just came out with our fifth edition of that book, which I'm, uh, to, to get that many editions out in, in today's world of book publishing, I'm pretty proud of that. So that's awesome. Well, how about this? So last um, question I have for you, and we're kind of twofold. Beyond your book, which I personally just recommended, are there other resources you would recommend? Or more importantly, just tell me, okay, if, if you want to become a more entrepreneurial executive or professional, you, you want, at least want to have a mind, a skill set or a mindset to, to, to more clearly have the, the tools you need in moments where you might have an opportunity to do something at your job. Where do I start? What do I do? So, so my favorite resource to, to share with people these days is, um, is, a, is a whole collection of, of material that was developed by a guy by the name of Steve Blank. Um, Steve is, uh, he, he's, he's kind of like me in, in that he's kind of lived in both worlds of, of, of teaching and, and doing. He's more of a doer than I have been and less of a teacher. I've been a little more of a teacher and a little bit more of a doer. 
but um, uh, he has developed some incredibly powerful books that um, uh, that have transformed how I think of things and and are things that have informed how I teach people. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. Um, the good thing is that he's actually done a fair amount of work in corporate innovation too. And so it's not, it's not just for people like me. It's also for your listeners who are in the corporate world. Uh, you know, he, he works in that world as well. So his books, his blog, uh, his podcasts, uh, um, incredibly brilliant guy and, and a nice guy. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, to talk with him a couple of times and, and, uh, uh, he's just a good, good, sharp, solid person, a good thinker. And so that's step number one. I think the other thing I would, I would encourage people to do is, is to read everything they possibly can about business models. And that's true in corporate world or in the entrepreneurial world. I think we, we, this is beginning to be the golden age of really understanding the business model better than we ever have. It used to be a very intuitive process. It used to be something we would tell people you'll understand, but we don't really know how to explain it, sort of this mysterious black box. But now we have tools to explain it. And and so there's work of, uh, of the, the whole series of things that have been done by a guy by the name of Osterwalder, which are very good. Um, Ash Moria has done some really cool stuff in, in the earlier stage business modeling with the lean business model canvas that he's done that I love his work as well. Um, and, and, and there's a bunch of other folks that have gotten in and um, uh, Reese has done a bunch of work on, on, on how to pivot and what the pivots look like. So, you know, I would get into that whole business model space and, and, and do a lot of reading uh, many of the biggest corporate blunders that we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years can be so easily understood and explained when we plug them into these simple tools of business models. Mm. And, and so, um, in fact, Oster Wilder is doing very little work now with entrepreneurs. He's, he, all of his time is with, with corporate America and, well, actually corporate uh, entities all over Europe and America and, and helping them. Um, understand their business model and learn how to manage from that business model perspective, which is managing the whole, not just the parts. And so, uh, and we'll, we'll link all this stuff, stuff up in the show notes. So if you're like, what, what? Okay. So I said, Steve blank. And, and I've heard of him from, uh, I think, I think he influenced a lot of Eric Ries work. Yep. Eric so, Ries is great. Yeah. So the lean startup is one of those books, the business model canvas. Yep. Um, I think that was one of the lean, Yep. The Lean um, Business Model Canvas. And so we'll link a lot of this stuff up in the show notes. So make sure you go to executiveminds.co. Executiveminds.co will have all this stuff linked up for you because we understand if you're driving right now, do not try to write this down. Don't die. It's not. We don't want you to do that. Play it safe. We, we will do the hard work for you of summarizing uh, this content for you. Uh, Dr. C, I'm incredibly grateful for your time. I appreciate that. Uh, and you know I'm grateful for you as a human being and what you've done for me personally. Um there are other books he's written that are, that are about how you can pursue entrepreneurship and actually still have a life and how you balance the reality of of, li- of living a life well um, beyond just the work you do, which I think is also another important work. Thanks. Um, and so uh, how can people connect with you? So um, I'm kind of easing into the sunset in life right now. <laughs> um, he's vanishing from the internet. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys who feels the need to stay relevant for my whole life. Fair and, enough. And so I, mean, I have a blog site, but quite honestly, I haven't been posting much on that. I may, as, as, I, as I get more into whatever retirement looks like for me, which I'm phasing into right now, 
Um, uh, I may start to write more on the blog site. Uh, there's a ton of content I, there. I was going to say, I was like, well, what he's not telling you is he also was ranked as one of Forbes' top blogs to read for entrepreneurs and business. So, so if you don't mind that some of it, it you know, isn't dated in the last month, uh, you know, there, there's it's a, there's a lot to search through there. A lot of, uh, I think, good stuff. It's it's drjeffcornwell.com, and and so you know, certainly the blog site is a good way to connect. Um, beyond that, you know, we do have a website for our, our company, but our company is very niche and, and my guess is very few of your listeners would, uh, are looking to buy educational content on, on entrepreneurship. Uh, but if there's one out there that does, uh, that's entrepreneurialmindllc.com is, is, is our website for that company. Very cool. Um, so thank you all for listening. I hope you understand that you know, when you hear what he talked about mindset and skill set, right, this idea of humility, these ideas of open mindedness, training yourself to read the numbers, training yourself to understand business models and how your role is a part of a, a larger whole. These are things we can learn, things we can work on, things we can practice that can make us more prepared to add value to the organization that we work in or the one that we're starting. And so for me, that's what's really exciting because I think if you said, Kevin, how humble uh, were you just nine years ago? I would say I, uh, as he can probably attest to, I might say I was friendly, <laughs> but I think my passion and my desire and how much I was a nerd about this stuff inflated my sense of reality, right? That it made me think I knew more than I did. And then I became a husband and a parent. But <laughs> all that being said, um, I hope you see that this is possible for you. That you can become more entrepreneurial no matter where you are. And um, please keep listening to this podcast. Like I said, visit the show notes. Please share this with a friend. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's how you help us reach more people with this podcast. And until then, um, we hope you understand that you can turn your potential into high performance and grow your career. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Executive Minds Podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. For more show notes and helpful resources, visit executiveminds.co. That's executiveminds.co.